We know you're busy. Bills to pay, mouths to feed, and the man needs another favor. So just in case you missed what happened on the fan today, we got your back. And even if you did hear it live, you probably need to hear it again. Here you go, all in one place and in just one hour. The best of the best from today on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. This is Instant Replay. Earlier this afternoon on The Ride with JMV. Now the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Every single Friday right here on the 3 o'clock hour. Brought to you by your 14 Central Indiana CarX locations. CarX.com. With my friend Joe Childers in that location nearest you. Has there anything that over your time compares to the type of season and the notoriety that Caitlin Clark has had, either for the women or the men. Are we breaking some new ground with this in mind for you, Bob? Oh, I don't think there's any question, John. I think it's a. Um, I think you just look at the national media uh, and see how much more exposure women's games are getting. I think that it's a, an inflection point, if you will. I think. Uh, you know, you have a superstar that, as you mentioned, little girls can rally around and, and uh, you know, pretend to be. And, and uh, you have a perfect role model. Um, it's pretty cool down in Bloomington. Lines all the way around the assembly hall to get into watch yeah. the game. And so, no, it's all good. And, and I think media now, you know, they're a little bit slow to move around. But I think the media is beginning to give the proper amount of attention that it needs to to women's sports in general, and right now specifically to women's basketball. And so, you know, just like this weekend at Gainbridge Fieldhouse, we have the uh, girls' state finals, and I I dare say there will be great crowds down there watching some tremendous basketball. It's uh, Bob Lovell who joins us. You know, oftentimes on a daily basis, you get people that have to find something to piss and moan about, have to be mad about, have to be angry about, you know, with her, with, with her, I don't get any of it because on one side, it raises the level of your play, no matter your IU or your Michigan State or your Gardner-Webb or your Belmont, your Indiana State, it doesn't matter. It raises, it raises the level of play. And then the overall spotlight that is now being shined on the game there, to me, is no downside to this. And, you know, you had last night, Bob, people saying, oh, look at all the calls she gets. Listen, that's fine. That, that happens with good basketball players, all right? Yeah. And then yeah. you raise that competitive profile with the fan base and certainly fans that wouldn't normally be watching too much. That is just a win-win. There is, to me, nothing to complain about this whatsoever and if you're not you fan your team went out and did everything that was necessary to get a very impressive win their most impressive win of the season last night there's no question and but but what terry morn has done has been phenomenal uh in in her own right in in, uh, elevating that program to where it is it's a, a national power recognized as such extremely competitive within the big 10 and you have the big stage with caitlin clark John, it's human nature to try to uh, find something wrong, no matter what. And uh, you just wish people could look beyond it. Uh, as you point out, there's nothing that Caitlin Clark does that's wrong. You know, and I'm sure that the I, officials yeah. didn't help her shoot those 30-foot jump shots and make it go in. So what she, what she does, she's done with hard work, good old-fashioned hard work, great teammates and great coaching. But I think it's fun. I think it's tremendous that we're at this 
situation, as I mentioned, it's a, it's an inflection point for, for women's sports in general. And I, and I think all of us benefit from that. The more people can go out and watch games. You're the father of a daughter who likes to play. It has to be cool for you to watch Laney watch her play and get excited about being a basketball player. No doubt about that. And uh, all the girls around Laney and other girls and girls everywhere enjoy it even more. And then, you know, you talk about Terry Moran just raising that basketball profile in Bloomington. And, Bob, it comes at a time when, again, we see the IU men's team profile at an incredible low. So, I mean, really, I'm not suggesting it's going to even things out because you want that men's program to be what people want it to be down there and fans of IU. But it it certainly does not hurt to be raised in the profile the past couple of years as we've seen Terry Morin do with that women's program. Yeah, and you know what? It's just uh, I think it's coincidental too. I mean, you know, when Terry had was at Indiana State, she won games that propelled her to get the job uh, in, in Bloomington, where she's been. She's been successful. University of Indianapolis, everywhere along the line, she's been successful. Uh, IU basketball. It's just you know how this is. It's cyclical. They're in a situation right now where they're not playing like people think they should. Not playing like you know the, the everybody involved believes they should. Uh, I, I say it all the time, John. I don't make it – I'm not trying to be cliched. It's hard to win. <laughs> it's very difficult to win basketball games at any level. And so, men's basketball has had tremendous success, we all know, in the past. It's in a situation right now where it's not as good as it has been, but it's still a, a powerful product. And I have no doubt that uh, in the not-too-distant future, they'll be back playing – uh, in front of sold-out crowds like they normally do and, and winning basketball games at the level everybody's excited about. All right, Bob, we've got some state finals going on at the Fieldhouse coming up tomorrow with the girls in mind, don't we? We do, and uh, you know what? It's it's always a great time of year, John, You know because sectionals for boys will begin on Tuesday, so you yep. wrap up girls' basketball, and so you know our, our mutual friend Greg Regstraw is – Beyond excited, his Lanesville team is back to defend their championship in 1A, taking on North Central of Farmersburg. And so, you know what? It, uh, it'll be uh, – excuse me. <laughs> they, are, they are taking on um, – Lanesville is you know, right. playing in that first one against Marquette Catholic. Excuse me. Right. And uh, so, in 1A game, the story, obviously, is can Lanesville repeat? Uh, when you ask Greg, the answer is an, uh, an affirmative, a strong yes. Uh, we know it's hard to repeat as champions in anything, but they're really, really good. And uh, this Marquette Catholic team uh, had uh, one, a close one against Clinton Central to get in it. They've been ranked highly all year long. So that's going to be a tremendous matchup to start the day. Yeah, and then obviously I saw the end of LC on Saturday before Center Grove and Franklin played in that uh, semifinal game as well on the second one. And there, there are not a lot of things you can say um, uh, as far as LC is concerned that they don't have going for them. That is an incredibly talented team, both on the floor and on the bench. Well, they really are, John, and that's why they've had the success that they had to this point. And, you know, it starts with the coach. I mean, tremendous coach. You know, you've got the, the daughters there. Listen, you, you mentioned talent. They are supremely talented. 
them. And they've played a very, very difficult schedule. And look where they are, playing for a championship. And, you know, I think uh, when the season started, uh, people thought they had a, a legitimate chance to be in the position they were in playing for a state championship. And so, um, you know, clearly uh, it, it should be something that if they'll just go and play, they're playing a very competitive and very good Lake Central team. Listen, Lake Central beats Noblesville uh, last week in the semi-state by 16 to get where they are. So they have to be a really, really good basketball team. So, you know, the 4A battle should be, uh, I think like the other, should be a tremendously competitive game to wrap up the night. Uh, Bob Lovell, Indiana Sports Talks, got you covered tonight. Tomorrow night, across the Network Indiana affiliated stations with us. Again, we're on a tavern tour stop. GG's at 71st and Benford. Would love to see you up here with our friends from Heavenhill Distillery and Brent Halverson hanging out with me as well. Bob Lovell's brought to you by your 14th Central Indiana Joe Childers run Carx location. So you and Greg did that last week. What did you think about uh, the way that the boys' sectional pairings ended up got knocking itself out and making a lot as it normally does of really good strong first night matchups well i think the thing that we got out of the night john was um as you point out there's some really good matchups in that first night but i think the theme throughout the basketball season for boys and girls has been balanced, uh, has been the situation where there are some really, really good basketball teams at all four classes. And uh, Greg pointed it out, uh, there may be a clear-cut favorite or two, but uh, all four classes are, are up for grabs, 4A especially, as we talked about throughout the year. And, um, you know, it's just it's what makes it so much fun. You've done it. I've done it. We all know that upsets are the, the rule rather than the exception. And there are going to be some teams uh, who are highly rated who won't make the appearance to play in the state finals. It happens every year. And uh, we also pointed out, and we remind everybody, this is the 114th time we played a state basketball championship for boards in the state of Indiana. And uh, 114 years of excellence is pretty hard to match. Nah, there's no doubt about that. Going to have a great weekend here. and The fellas start coming up early next week. Bob Lovell's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Purdue. Sticking it to Rutgers last night impressively. IU gets Penn State tomorrow. Butler tomorrow night on the road at Seton Hall. And uh, my Sycamores earlier this week got back in the win column. It was good to see him win. You know, but they've got – there's a situation right now where we're playing for seed in the, in the Valley Tournament. Uh, I, I don't know. I think when you leave decisions like that to a committee – uh, you always have to be kind of concerned about what your fate's going to be. So Sycamores are good enough, powerful enough, well-coached enough to win the Valley Tournament. But it would be nice to get some momentum going on. And as the tourney starts pretty soon and you're trying to get that momentum. Same thing for, for IU. I think it's the same story for Butler with this matchup in Seton Hall. They need to start stringing together some wins here uh, to carry them into the Big East Tournament um, and and – uh, solidify a, a possible chance in the NCAA tournament. They need wins. They need wins, and they need them in a hurry. So Bob Lovell, Indiana Sports Talk, tonight, tomorrow night. Get a little preview of the games tomorrow and a recap coming up tomorrow night, Bob. With us every single Friday on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, brought to you by CarX, your 14 Central Indiana. Joe Childers run CarX locations, carx.com today. My friend, great to talk with you today. We'll do it again next week. 
All right, thanks, John. Take care of yourself. Thanks so much. You got it. Bob Lovell of Indiana Sports Talk. It's the best of the best from today's broadcast lineup. Instant replay continues in a moment on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. This is Instant Replay. Today on Quarry and Company. So obviously you all know, listeners out there, Indianapolis natives, the Combine is upon us. It's going to be here in a few days. I'll obviously be there. And we have one of my buddies, Nick Bumgarner, from The Athletic on the line. He is what I consider to be one of the draft gurus. He follows this stuff a lot more closely throughout the year than me. So, Nick, how you doing? And what are your thoughts on just getting to this point in the offseason where it feels like things are heating up a little bit? Mm, good fellas. I hope you guys are well. I mean, I'm really glad that they didn't move the thing from Indy first and foremost. Like I, we talk about this every year. I was actually, I was just talking to this uh, with Dane Brugler about this actually the other day. Like, if they ever move this thing away from Indy, I don't know what anyone's going to do because it's like the perfect city for all of this. So excited to get back and uh, get rolling. I mean, get got to get to St. Elmo's and some good steak going here this week for sure or next week, I should say. See, Nick has already got it mapped out. St. Emil's yeah. first football second. You have to. You have okay. to have a strategy of where you're going to attack, and I'm glad Nick is savvy enough right. to know St. Elmo's has to be on the list. There you go. Exactly. So, right. Nick, obviously the Colts are not in a position they were last year where we all knew they have to draft a quarterback. They don't have any answers to that quarterback. They have their guy who they believe can be a dude. Right. But at 15, where do you see them possibly going, and is Brock Bowers a legitimate potential pick for them considering how his value might oscillate between now and obviously the draft. I mean, if he falls to them, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, if he falls to them, that's, that's got, I mean, and that's real, that's realistic. I mean, the, the way that yeah, uh, the board is so quarterback dependent this year because so many teams need one, the Colts jump the line on that one. Um, you know, maybe that'll turn out to be smart on them, but they don't have to worry about it this year. You know, there's going to be some teams that have to reach and you know, go a little higher than maybe you would want, and that's why the buzz on, you know, J.J. McCarthy right now, for instance, is you know got him pushed all the way up to the top ten or at least inside the top fifteen, which I think is pretty legitimate because while he's not a top fifteen player, certainly not a top ten player, you know, he's the next in line at quarterback and he's a worthy first round pick, and some teams just have no choice. So yeah, tight end tends to slip anyway. In most years, uh, Bowers, I think, is a little different, though. I mean, he is, you know, there there's going to be teams that have him uh, certainly top five on their board overall in the entire class, regardless of position. I mean, he's that good of a player. Uh, I could see him going to the Chargers up there at five or six, whatever they're at. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he could totally fall. And if he fell to Indy, that's it, because Indy has needs, of course, but they could do a, a few different things. There's not anything they sort of have to do. But I think that would be an awesome fit if he were able to fall down there and give them a, another anchor on, on offense to build around. Nick Bumgarner is our guest, senior writer at The Athletic, and does great coverage, among all things NFL, but especially around this time of year with the NFL draft. Nick, I've made it clear on this show a number of times, I'm an offensive first guy. I think a lot of people are. Like We love the high flair of high-powered offenses mm-hmm. and big game-wrecking plays, and especially here in Indy when you have a young quarterback, assuming they bring back Michael Pittman Jr., it's nice to dream about the idea of them, whether it's in free agency or in the draft, getting another weapon like a Brock Bowers or like this wide receiver rich class, but let's say they don't yeah. do that. And my initial reaction is usually like, all right, they're going with 
somebody on the defensive side of the ball. In the range for them, why should Colts fans, if they are like me, they're offense first-minded, why should they still be excited if they go, let's say, cornerback or an edge rusher, and if it's the latter, a spot that the Colts have kind of been seeking that next great edge rusher for this franchise? That's a great question because I think that those are two spots in particular, uh, especially corner and really edge too, but really I think corner where you could end up, if you're the Colts, you could end up with the top corner on the board. I just did my <clears throat> three-round mock a couple weeks ago, and I have Terry and Arnold, Alabama's uh, corner there, as my top corner. And I think he's a top 10 player, but I had him at, down there at the Colts because, I mean, there was nobody, you know, I mean, like I couldn't get the corner thing started and too many teams needed other stuff. And it was just one of those things that he got pushed down and, you know, that's we're talking about a top 10 player that, that falls to you, and not, no question about it, I think he's a starter right away. A guy can come in and help your defense. A guy can come in and help, you know, help others around him improve. And I think that's the type of thing that if you're sitting in the middle of the draft like this when there's so many teams that need a quarterback, that's what you're really hoping for. Like Jared Verse would be another one if he were able to fall, and I think he could. The Florida State edge there who's really freaky. You mentioned Leitu Latu uh, is another one there in that range, but Verse is another one that's – you know, in any other year, you know, he's we're talking about him as a top 12, no question about it. But, you know, with the quarterbacks the way they are, I don't know, maybe somebody slides or falls. And the same thing could happen to these receivers. I don't think that that's a slam dunk. I don't think it'll happen. But, like, if somebody slides and falls, so who's to say? I mean, it's not impossible. How much easier does it make life for the Colts if they decide to go defense? And let's say solely in the cornerback room when they feel yeah. like they already have a great piece having potentially hit a home run with Juju Brents where they took him last year. Yes. I mean, I think that if you do that and you get a guy like Arnold or even Quinion Mitchell that falls to you there, um, I think both those guys would be certainly uh, worthy of that spot where the Colts are at. I think that it allows you to do other things beyond that when you start to go you know, into the second round beyond. You mentioned receiver earlier, and obviously Pittman's part of the conversation but you know, I gave him Jalen Polk, uh, the kid from Washington. I mean, there's so many good receivers that are going to be there in the second round that are going to be starters. Troy Franklin, Xavier Worthy. Uh, we mentioned Polk, Malachi Corley, the kid from Western Kentucky. There's so many good players that would be able to come in and be quarterback-friendly receivers. That could, Roman Wilson's another one that would be you know a best friend type for an Anthony Richardson, a guy that is always open, is always on time, doesn't drop passes. And those are the players I feel like the Colts need to surround him with and there's a lot of guys in that second-round area there. I wouldn't do it with their first-round pick. I think it's a little too high. But if you get the rest of that stuff off the board, if you get like a starter on defense that just falls to you, it allows you to do so many different things You know, the rest of the day. So, Nick, to pivot a little bit away from the Colts to the Lions, which is the team that you really focus on mm-hmm. throughout the season, obviously we saw what they were able to do last year, what they built. And I thought one of the interesting questions that was asked to Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network yesterday was you know could they be the blueprint for other teams you know as far as taking a player versus is the positional value where it needs to be or modern NFL is it worth to take a running back this high all those things um what do you think of their need perhaps to kind of tweak some things to get right back there because I thought what Dan Campbell said after they lost to the 49ers was was real like you know this might have been our one shot however they have Mm -hmm. some pieces still there to get back there, obviously it's going to be harder. Um, things change. It's football. People get hurt. All those things. But what about them? Kind of gives you a little bit of a, a I don't know. I want to say hope is the right word, but just the idea that okay, it is realistic for them to make this a sustained window for a Detroit city that was kind of starving for this. 
Yeah, and I think that's the most important part is that it can be it can be a sustained window, and I think that's real. I think that's that is very real. And and he's right about you know you get that far and you never know, right? You never know if you you're, you know no matter how good you are, you just don't know how how that's going to go. Uh, but I do think that if you look at their roster, you know they have so many good. Their best players are all on rookie contracts. You know, I mean, except for Goff, um, you know, Amara St. Brown, Penny Sewell, Aiden Hutchinson, Laporta. Uh, Gibbs, you know, now adds into the fray. Lee McNeil's another one. They they just have done such a great job um, with their top, I would say, like four picks of the last three or four years. Uh, really, the last three. Brad Holmes's drafts, uh, and they just haven't missed, you know, on really hardly any. And and when you build your team, you know, through the draft, and Colts fans know this too. I mean, it, Ballard's whole thing got a little obviously off off kilter, but that was the whole idea there too to begin with: is build the team through the draft, have a good foundation, and then try to extend that window as long as you can to run a quarterback. And I think that, you know, they, they, they like where Goff's at. I w- I'm very curious to see what that contract's going to look like. I would assume there'll be an extension for him. I don't know what it'll be. Um, but I do think they have a little bit more of a window than maybe people might have r- realized because, yeah, they're, they're, they're one of the youngest teams in the league. And I think that that is a blueprint uh, in that it's just about drafting the best possible player you can that fits your locker room. And if it doesn't, if the guy doesn't fit, your locker room, then don't do it. And I think that that's pretty much the simple principle uh, they tend to use, and it's worked out pretty well so far. Nick Bumgarner of The Athletic taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Nick, a year ago, Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer, Sam Laporta, to name a few, headlined Mm -hmm. what was a a pretty strong, especially towards the top, tight end class. There's a couple teams. Cincinnati was linked towards a tight end potentially last year. Kansas City is going to be preparing for life after Travis Kelsey. And here locally for, I mean, not like that he's going to retire, but you know what I mean, building towards who the next tight end is in that system. And for the Colts, I feel like with what Shane Steichen wants to do, they have a lot of good tight ends that don't do a ton great, but they do a lot of things well. And maybe a tight end like Brock Bowers this year is a piece that is perfect for a Shane Steichen-led offense. If they don't take him, I mentioned the prospects a year ago, it seemed like there were multiple avenues you could go down. Is there that same level of high-end depth at the position this year when it comes to tight end? No, it's not nearly as good. Last year's was darn near generational in terms of the number of guys that you had in the top 100. That was that was a, bit, a, bit, a bit of a reach or a bit newer, I should say. Um, but this is not – this isn't bad. This is uh, – you know, maybe one B, I mean, close to, I think the position in general, if you really follow college football is getting deeper uh, as college teams start to understand what to do with tight ends uh, more, you know, they're starting to let them, you know, block more and, and have more responsibility in that and not just ask them to be big, long receivers that go out there and stand around. So there are more guys, you know, like, uh, you know, if, even into the third round, I think this year that you can find a starter, uh, you know, Theo Johnson's a kid from Penn state that had a really nice senior bowl, Kate Stover from Ohio state, and the other really good one uh, beyond Bowers, uh, Jatavian Sanders, a kid from Texas, who's really, really athletic and could do a lot of things. Jaheim Bell from Florida is another one like this. So there's a lot more um, NFL-ready tight ends, I should say, coming out in the last maybe three or four years than we saw in the previous handful because I think the position has changed and developed into more of a, you know, are you looking for an inline guy? Are you looking for a flex guy? Are you looking for a guy that can do both? And I think that the – a lot of college teams are starting to understand what pro teams are looking for. And so you got guys that are sort of properly compartmentalized and they know what they're doing and they know what they know what's asked of them. So I think that it's better than it's been, but it's not as good as what it was last year. Last year was really, really good. One of the best we've seen in a long time. So I can't, I can't have you come on 
the show, be a draft guru slash analyst and not ask about Justin Fields and Mm -hmm. the Chicago Bears and Caleb Williams. And if you put your GM hat on, Nick, right now, which way are you leaning? And more realistically, what makes this decision so unique, perhaps, than other quarterback decisions? Because obviously, I would say usually every year it's like, oh, do you trade up to get a guy or do you just draft this guy? But like they have a guy who could be really good. And then they have a guy right. who could be really good, who might be a lot cheaper as well. So, or which way are you leaning, and how do you see that kind of playing out? Well, I think the, the the uniqueness of it is that you've got a guy who, yes, like who who is so talented, and everybody knows it. And you you as the franchise have failed him, you know. And I think that's the situation. He's getting to the end of his deal here now, and you failed him. You're really not any closer to competing than you were when you started. And when you take a guy like that, you have to be ready. The Bears, when they took Fields. Really, when the Bears took him and the Lions didn't, like that was the great test case scenario for a lot of teams that they should copy that. Yes, because the Lions were not ready for a quarterback then. If they'd have taken Justin Fields back in 2021, it would have been the same thing. It would have been a mess. And they they would be in the same situation right now as the Bears are in. So, you know, I, I think it's a unique situation from that standpoint that you're going to have to probably maybe move on from a guy that you really hate to do that because he's got so much ahead of him still. And that's sort of indicative of how you know football is these days. These quarterbacks need more time when they come out. But not all of them do. And I think that when you see a guy like Caleb Williams sitting there and you have another pick in the top ten, you have a chance to add you know, Caleb Williams and maybe a top receiver with him. I mean, that's like franchise changing, I think. And I think that that's something that you just can't you know, ignore or turn down no matter how much you, know, you like how Justin Fields improved last year. And I think he did you know, improve quite a bit. But like if you don't do that and Caleb Williams goes somewhere else and you have to sit there and watch that and Fields doesn't turn into basically a pro bowler next year, you're regretting it, right? Like, so I think that that's the line you're walking. And I would assume that, you know, Fields is traded and, you know, the Bears take Caleb or, you know, Drake May or whoever it is there at the, at the top. I would assume it's, it's Caleb and they move on from there. But that's it's such a tough spot because they're in this position – you know, they they made that great trade with Carolina, but like if they hadn't done that, it would be just a total mess. So uh, it's weird for sure, but I think that's it's something where they're going to have to do something here soon because uh, there'll be enough suitors for Field. There's enough suitors. He's a talented kid. There'll be enough out there for him. Yeah, Athletics Nick Bumgarner is our guest. Covers the NFL at large as well as the NFL draft. Nick, wide receiver in this draft, we know it's at least on paper appears to be deep, and there's going to be opportunities to be able to select one that could maybe not fully change the fortune of a franchise right away, depending on where you're picking, but could definitely help speed up offensive development. Kind of a two-angled question here. I don't think the Colts are doing this, but just to, you know, stir the pot a little bit for the Colts fans and then get realistic with it. What are the chances a team moves up for Marvin Harrison Jr. in this draft? I know that's the hardest part of mocking, but what, what what are the chances something like that happens? And then smaller scale, maybe more realistically, is it worth it for a team, not for Marvin Harrison Jr., maybe somebody in the 10 to 15 range like the Colts are, to trade up to get one of the top-shelf wideouts in this deep class? I do think that that's possible, and I think not just for Marvin there. I think Malik Neighbors and maybe even Odunze, uh, Roma Odunze, the kid from Washington. The you know We've talked about this a little bit, you know, Dane, internally. The line between – and Harrison is number one. And my board, I mean, Harrison on some people's boards is going to be number one player in the draft. Um, but the line between Harrison and Neighbors is not as wide as people probably think, and I think that speaks more about how good Neighbors is as a legit top five pick. 
or a legit top five prospect. And I think some people are also going to have Roma Dunze up there at maybe five or six. And I think back to a couple of years ago when, you know, some teams moved up and moved, we saw Devonta Smith, the Eagles move up to get him. Um, you know, I, this, this feels familiar to that class a little bit and that you've got three guys at the top who I do think are possible, you know, game changers who can come in right away and help whoever is throwing to them, make, make them look a lot better. You know what I mean? I think beyond that, it gets a little trickier and you got guys that are going to help offensive de- development. Like you said, guys that are going to come in and help an offense get a lot better and help a situation. But those three at the top uh, are really, really good. And I could definitely see, you know, somebody down there who's got the assets to do it say, Hey, we got a situation here where we like everything, but we need to be a little bit more explosive. Let's go get one of these guys because they can change everything. And they're cheap. Like I said, I mean, it's rookie deals. So I can see that happening for sure. I think that's uh, absolutely a possibility. Nick, I kind of want to take a step, I guess, back big picture wise. And I got a kick out of this when I was looking at some people like, you know, do you go the Patrick Mahomes route and do you just draft a bunch of guys and, and get guys on one year deals to build around your quarterback? And I'm like, well, that's not, that's not your quarterback, <laughs> you know? So right. um, how have you seen maybe the wide receiver market, not market, but the draft itself shift over the last few years where it seems like you can get a number one guy like oh, yeah. ready to go from day one as opposed to maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. How have you seen that kind of shift with just the way offenses have been built in NCAA until now where you can have a Jamar Chase come in and be your number one right away. You can have Marvin Harrison Jr. potentially be your number one right away. And others we've seen throughout recent years. Yeah, I love this conversation because it is, it's changed right before our eyes. And it's happened in the last like five to ten years. And it's like something that everybody saw coming and we knew it was happening. And I'm not sure that the receivers playing today quite understand it, right? Some of the, some of the money they ask for. Because I, I always say all the time, I'm like, you guys aren't getting that money anymore because there's Every year, it's not just this year, it's not just last year, it'll be next year and the year after that. The, the way that teams started to move away from you know, the spread and shred with the power spread stuff and start, now we're going to spread out and throw the ball. So now you know, you're finding players, uh, you're better athletes at a younger age, and you're having them play receiver. And it used to be you know, in the 90s, 2000s, and in the early 2010s or even, it would, be, it would take a while for a college receiver to truly understand everything that needs to happen, and it would be a process. And that's just not the case uh, at all anymore. You see guys walk in the door as freshmen and are just absolutely outstanding, uh, and that's where the best athletes tend to go. I always joke about it. Um, you know, you go to a recruiting camp anywhere in the country, uh, you know, a top 100 camp or whatever, and the line – uh, at receiver is five times as long as a line at corner. And it's like the coaches will always joke about everybody gets paid. You know what I mean? Like they need corners, the same thing, but like the best athletes want to play receiver. And that's, that's how it's been. I feel like for quite a while in the way that offenses go today, you're hundred percent right. You don't need to overspend or do anything crazy. You can consistently find and replenish yourself uh, at that position. If you're smart about it in the draft and most teams, I think you should be taking one every year uh, in this stretch because there's so many good ones every year that come out. Um, that you'd be almost doing yourself a disservice if you didn't look at it. Nick Baumgartner of The Athletic taking some time with us. Nick, I want you to put on your GM hat as you cover all things NFL, and I know the draft is your wheelhouse around this time of year, but it's pertinent to the Colts because there's a lot of moving parts with free agency and then the draft right around the corner after that. So if you put on a GM hat and you look at the Colts, they have the luxury of, as you mentioned, having jumped the line, at least they think they did. They have their quarterback, Mm -hmm. and he's on that rookie pay scale, and philosophically people will vary based on how aggressive do you get and where do you get the most aggressive from a spending standpoint while you have the rookie quarterback to maximize your window. In the Colts' case, it's a de facto rookie season, so you're also taking into account the fact that 
You want to make life as easy on him as possible. For the Colts, let's say they keep Michael Pittman Jr., whether it's a tag or a contract. Let's say they get it done and it's not a massive cap hit to where they still have money to spend. When you look at this draft and you look at this crop of free agents at wideout, where are the Colts better served to benefit Anthony Richardson? And maybe they do both, but where are they right. better served? Take a big swing in free agency along with Michael Pittman Jr.'s retention or hit as many homers as you can in the draft at wideout? I would do it in the draft. I would 100% do it in the draft, especially like we talked about earlier, what you know the offense they run with what Sykin does. They're, the guys that are coming out now, they don't need time to adjust. They understand what's going on. They understand what's being asked of them. I, I really, I think that coaches and just the system, it's been forced because of the way the game has changed, but the position, they're just ready. They're more ready to go. And, you know, I like Josh Downs a lot too, but you could use another one, you know, I mean, there's, there, you need more reliable people around a young quarterback like that. Like that's why, and CJ Stroud has been, uh, was terrific by himself, obviously, right? But if you look at the people that are around him and you look at the, the players he was able to throw to this year, it helps off a lot to have, you know, talent like that that he's throwing to. I mean, it, it helps to have reliable people, and they did a good job of working trust and all that sort of thing too, but guys you can trust. A lot of times with quarterbacks, a guy your own age, a guy that's closer in age to you, a guy that you can understand and hang out with, because that's, that's a lot of it, a guy that you're going to spend time with and say, okay, all hell's breaking loose on this read. I need to find somebody. Where's my guy? You know, you need to find as many of those guys as possible to put around him, and I think that you do that in the draft. And, I mean, yeah, I think you, you still do your due diligence and, and free agency and everything else, and obviously you work what you got to do with Pittman, but you got to continue to sort of find guys in the draft that are going to help your quarterback uh, along the way as you develop them. Well, look, man, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Nick. I will see you in a few days here you in Indianapolis. Um, take care, my friend, and thanks for coming on. All right, guys, take care. Again, that was Nick Bumgarner. My co-worker at The Athletic does a lot more work than me around this time of the year because he is deep into film study, you know, the Senior Bowl, the you know East-West Shrine Bowl, all these different things to get us prepared for mock draft season, which is what we're in right now. And I thought he made a very good point, Jimmy, to emphasize that they have to build this thing through the draft. And, and I think that's just the nature of what Chris Ballard has always done. And I also think it's what they kind of have to do given – the options that they have, you know, even though they have a lot of cap space, I don't see them going out there paying Pittman and then also paying another receiver. They probably got to find a pass catcher, whether it's Brock Bowers or a receiver or someone else in the draft. And, and I'd be okay with that because as Nick alluded to, there's a lot of talent in this draft. And as I told Eddie off air, I kind of believe Shane Steichen can turn players or make them a little bit better than maybe they are. Sure because of the scheme stuff that he's able to do with them. It's the best of the best from today's broadcast lineup. Instant replay continues in a moment on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. This is Instant Replay. Earlier this afternoon on The Ride with JMV. 
On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Line, voice of the Hoosiers, getting ready to uh, take off. Head to Penn State, Penn State IU tomorrow. Noon is the start time, 11 a.m., 93 WIBC. The voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, with us. Don Fisher is also splendid. He's splendidly doing about 95 southbound I-69 right now, right? About 95? I, I slowed down just for you, John. I slowed down just You did. Oh, that's safe. <laughs> Safety first, Don Fisher. That is outstanding out of you. Um, start. I'm going to start a little bit of hoop. Outside of the start of the second half the other night, kind of the same old, same old. Don, every week we've talked about this, and you've always brought it up. You're looking for any, any leadership consistency on this team. And if there is anything that they're missing, along with a lot of things we see on the floor, that continues to be something they simply do not have. I agree. Um, and, I, you know, they're, they're, I mean, Trey Galloway is a quiet leader, but you've got to have an alpha male type leader out there on the floor. Somebody that's not afraid to say, hey, you're not getting your job done or uh, you've got to stop doing that or, you know, try to help the coaching staff out with the execution of play. Um, and that requires somebody that's smart, is a veteran, so to speak. I think Galloway tries to give him that, but he's not the vocal guy that you need. And unfortunately, right now, that's their biggest struggle. And the consistency that we've seen them, or the lack of consistency that we've seen them play with, I think tells you all you need to know in that regard. Yeah, you know, when, when you search for it, you and I have talked about this week after week. Um, I guess it's just something that you can't find with this group that they don't have. And, you know, you got to make a note of that with whatever roster you look at next year and make sure you have that, among other things. Well, it's going to be hard, John, in that sense, because right now we don't know who on this roster will be back. I mean, obviously, Galloway's a senior. Uh, but has another year of, uh, of, of, you know, he could take another year to play college basketball if he wants to. He's got that opportunity. Uh, Xavier Johnson's gone. Walker's gone because he has obviously uh, used up his eligibility. Um, Malik Renew, obviously he's a sophomore. He would probably be the odds-on favorite to be a leader next year. I think Malik sometimes does try to talk uh, to his teammates and and get, get on them a little bit. I don't know if that's the case, but it seems to be just visually watching him in ball games sometimes that he does get after some of his teammates. Um, but we just don't know who's going to be there next year right now. And the way this thing is going right now, uh, as far as the wins and losses are concerned, you, you're, I think the transfer portal is going to have to be huge. And then you're bringing guys that you don't know that much about. And if they're not vetted well, we'll have the same thing we got this year because we're looking at a team right now that the construction of this roster is not the best that we've seen, to say the least. No, yeah, exactly. And I think that really this is just going to be like two, three, fourfold compared to what most other coaches in college basketball have to do now. you got to re-recruit your team, win, lose, or draw every single year with the way things NIL and transfer portal go now every single year. And here's the other thing. You don't know who's going to come in and say uh, to players on this ball club that they think can play 
uh, you know, we've got we got some money to offer you. <laughs> yeah. And, and and that could take guys away as well. So we're not talking about just guys that are unhappy with their playing time or that kind of stuff. You're literally recruiting guys that are still there and are guys that you want to keep. You have to recruit those guys back to your program. Uh, I mean, maybe they'll test the NBA waters and all that kind of stuff. Well, then they could go someplace else if they do that. So who knows? This is going to be a challenge, I think, for Mike Woodson and his coaching staff, to say the least. And if this thing continues to spiral downhill, it may be tough to keep anybody. No, completely agree. That's why I think there's going to be it's, it's going to be I, I'm not going to suggest it's going to be a complete reboot, but about as close to it, I would not be surprised considering everything else that is going on and, and certainly the way this program is right now. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher. You get IU Penn State coming up tomorrow at noon. Is this game in rec hall as the Penn State Illinois game was earlier this week? No, thank heavens it'll be at Bryce Jordan Center, and I say that because the rec hall was absolutely a zoo uh, in the Illinois ball game, and it was because yeah. they only have 9,000 seats in that building. The students all came, and that place was wild, and that was a big reason why Penn State knocked off Illinois because it was so loud and such a terrific atmosphere from, from a college basketball perspective, but especially in Penn State's favor. So back to the Bryce Jordan Center for our ball game tomorrow, which is probably the best thing that could possibly be happening under these circumstances. Dark and cavernous, and you, you saw you saw how that place and those fans got to Coleman Hawkins. And that doesn't take much. That's Illinois' big man. It doesn't take much to get to him. But he may have had the, the worst final minute plus that we have seen in a long time in that game the other night. Yeah, I didn't get to see it. I heard about it. <laughs> to score eight points for the last 36 seconds of the ball game to win it for Penn State tells you all you need to know. There was obviously a turnover or two, uh, and guys missing free throws and all kinds of good stuff. The Illini uh, just took it on the chin, and obviously that was a tough loss for them because it hurt them in the ratings. Yeah, he was the guy missing the free throws, too. He, it's funny, before he missed those final two free throws, he was angry, as he normally is. He was angry at the official because the official was slow getting him the basketball so he could shoot the free throws. So you could tell he was, he was angry, and he was showing that, and then he walks up there and misses two free throws. <laughs> well, that means that his concentration was on his anger. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and then and then that was right before he fouled the three-point shooter that knocked down three free throws that won them the game. So yeah, it wasn't a was not a good final couple of possessions for Coleman. Not at all. <laughs> well, he can be he can be gotten to. There's no question about that. Yeah, that's been kind of his mo over the years. You know what I mean? No doubt about that. Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers. You guys go on at 11 tomorrow? 11 a.m. pregame show and 12 noon tip-off. I also wanted to mention this because I talk about it all the time, and it's helping me out. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline is also now into uh, my friends at QC Kinetics. You were interested and now you've given it a try. So what do you think, Don? Well, 
you know, I just I was in there Thursday uh, this week, and I went through the process, and I was impressed with the people that were in there and the explanation of everything that was going to take place. Um, they gave me my first treatment, uh, and believe it or not, and they said it would probably be seven to ten days before I would feel a difference, and really today which is Friday. I Actually, it was Wednesday when I was in there. Today is Friday. Uh, actually, my, my knee feels better today, so it's pretty impressive stuff. And obviously, I've got a couple other appointments that I have to do uh, to, to continue the process. But at the same time, when you feel something change almost immediately, uh, it's a good feeling, to say the least. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this is something that athletes have been doing. They used to have to go. Like, this is when, remember when Peyton Manning hurt his neck and he went to Germany to check out this type of treatment then. This goes, you know, back 14-plus years. Um, right. And then now it's available not just to athletes, but it's available to everybody. And it works. It definitely works for me, but it's cool that uh, you did that as well. I can also tell you they were much more excited when I told them that you would like to give this thing a try than they were when I told them I would like to. <laughs> much more excited. <laughs> Well, here's what I do know. If this works on my knee, there's about three other spots in my body. I'll try <laughs> Well, I tell everybody all the time, by the time I'm 60, I'm going to have all new parts. All new. I'm just going to go ahead and overhaul everything. So, well, you know what? There's there's something to be said for being the six million dollar man. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, there's no doubt. I mean, Lee Majors, he's still going strong today. Today, still going strong. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, get to Bloomington. Catch that plane. Have a great call coming up tomorrow with Eric and John, and uh, we'll check back in coming up next Friday. But, hey, thanks for taking my advice on QC Kinetics. We'll we'll have you uh, keep everybody updated on how things are going. Sounds good, John. Thanks for having me. You got it. Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, right there on his way to Bloomington. Thanks again for listening to Instant Replay because second helpings are always best when the main course is still fresh. Instant Replay on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.